morning. Welcome again to all of you, but especially those of you who uh, don't come into this room with us normally. Um, About two years ago, I had something happen to me that was really, really painful. And it it happened right around this time of year. I was uh, putting away my lawn furniture into my shed. I was going to store it in there for the winter. And I wasn't paying attention, and I didn't realize that the door on my shed is a little low, and there's kind of this metal bar that sticks out that's kind of sharp. And as I turned to bring the patio furniture in, I knocked it right against the top of my head, and it hurt so bad. I, I fell over, and uh, I, I thought I was going to have to go to the hospital or something like that. It, it hurt so bad. And, and then last year, at the same time, doing the same thing, I did exactly that again. I hit my head on that very same bar in the very same place, and it hurt so bad again. And it was kind of double bad because I remembered it from the year before, and that hurts when I think about it, and then I experienced it again that year. Well, tomorrow, Monday, is my day off, and I'm going to be bringing my patio furniture back into my shed again, and uh, I'm a little bit nervous about this. Um, But I've got a plan this year. This time, I'm going to bring along with me an ice pack and some Tylenol so that when it happens again, I'll be prepared. Somebody said to me last service, why don't you just wear a helmet? I said, well, it's a tradition. I can't do that. Sometimes I wish in life that there was no such thing as pain. Don't you? Well, did you know that there is a disease that you can get, that if you catch it, you cannot feel any pain at all? It's true. And the disease is called leprosy. And that's exactly what these ten men that we're going to be talking about this morning had. So let me explain to you a little bit about leprosy. Leprosy is a kind of disease that attacks a person's nervous system. And the way that it worked was, in its worst form, a person who had leprosy literally could not feel any pain. Now, when you first hear that, you might think to yourself, no pain? That is great! How do I get leprosy? What would I need to do to contract that somehow? And the bad news is that you probably can't contract it because just about everybody nowadays is immune. But you may think to yourself, that would totally solve my shed problem. I could just find somebody who had leprosy, spend a lot of time very close with them, and then I I wouldn't need to worry about this. I could put my patio furniture away in peace. Feeling no pain sounds like it would be a wonderful gift, doesn't it? But it's actually a terrible curse. And that's because God made pain for a reason. Pain is so important to our bodies because it tells us when there's something wrong. And so just imagine for a second that you had leprosy, you couldn't feel any pain, and you were over at a friend's house having a conversation in their kitchen, and the two of you were just laughing and talking, and you you leaned your hand back against the kitchen counter, and you didn't realize that there was a hot burner that you were actually leaning on, and you had no idea that that was happening as you just laughed and talked, and a couple of minutes later when you brought your hand up, you realized that your hand was never going to be the same again. How terrible would that be? Or if you cut yourself, 
or if you were running and you sprained your ankle, or even if you bit your tongue, you would never even know that it had happened, and so you would never do anything about it, and over time it would become infected and grow into a very significant problem. And because of this, lepers were often covered in terrible wounds and sores and rashes, Pain tells us that something is wrong. And without pain, we are in serious danger. We ought to thank God for pain. And so, as you can imagine, nobody wanted to get leprosy. Nobody. And nobody wanted to be around a leper because everyone was afraid of catching it. And so, lepers had to live at a at a distance. In the time of the Bible, they were outcasts. They were rejected by an entire society. They couldn't live close to everyone else. They were not able to hold down a job. They couldn't shop at the grocery stores. And a lot of times, this is very sad, they they would just live in places like garbage dumps and, and try to eke out anything that they could to survive. In fact, a person who had leprosy at that time was not even able to walk on the road next to a person who was healthy. And on a day that the wind was blowing, especially, by law, they had to stay at least 150 feet away from a healthy person and shout out, unclean, so that no one would come near them. And this just gives you a little sense for the miserable life that the ten men that we're talking about this morning were living. They were, as uh, somebody said about them, a mass of sorrow. Now, there was only one way that a person who had leprosy could ever enter back into society again. And it would have to be something special because there was no cure for leprosy at that time. But... If, in some unlikely way, they were to be cured, if a leper one morning woke up, got out of bed, and realized that they didn't have leprosy anymore, there was one thing that they could do. And that is that the law required of them that they travel to the city of Jerusalem and go to the temple that was in that city. And inside that temple, then what they would need to do is they would need to find one of the priests and say to one of the priests, I had leprosy, but I woke up this morning, I've been cured of leprosy, and so I'd like my life back. And the priest would inspect that leper, make sure that he or she did not have leprosy anymore. And if it was true, if that person had been cured of leprosy, then the priest would declare them, instead of unclean, as clean. And now they were free to go back into their life again. They could re-enter society and things would be the way that they were before. Can you imagine how desperate these ten lepers were to be cured. They were so desperate, in fact, that when they heard that Jesus was passing through their town, when they found out he was on his way to Jerusalem, and and he was going there to die, by the way, they waited for him at the entrance of their village, and we have no idea how long they stood there waiting for Jesus. It could have been hours, it could have been weeks, it could have even been months. But finally, when they saw him, they did the thing that they were supposed to do. They stood 150 feet, probably, or more, away from him, and they cried out, Jesus, would you please have pity on us? And guess what? Jesus had pity on them. 
I mean, in in their world, they had been completely abandoned and set aside and ignored and forsaken by everyone except for Jesus. Jesus stops and Jesus cares about these ten men. And he decides to do something for these lepers that only he can do. But first, he tells them something. He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now the lepers, when they heard that, they must have thought, hmm, that's a little disappointing. Uh, I still have leprosy. And now he's telling me to go and visit the priests. Why? Those are the guys that you're supposed to see if you're cured. And obviously, I haven't been. This doesn't make a lot of sense. But apparently, they didn't have anything else that they needed to do that day. And they decided to go along with what Jesus had said. They packed up their stuff. And they headed off towards Jerusalem to find the temple to visit the priests. Now, the journey to Jerusalem would have taken them just about three days or so altogether. Of course, back then they didn't have cars and the lepers would not be able to afford horses or donkeys. So they would need to walk. And and on their way, the most spectacular thing happens. They were cured. These ten men, as they walked along this dirt road on the way to Jerusalem, must have looked down and seen that their terrible, in some cases gruesome, rashes and sores and injuries, all of the sudden, right before their eyes, were being transformed and renewed into healthy skin. And some of them who had lost fingers and toes and ears got to see them physically reappear. Can you imagine what that would have been like to see that? Not only to see that, but to be able to feel things again. Not just pain, but now they could actually feel pleasure too. Can you imagine what that must have been like to feel their legs pounding on the dirt and to put their arm around somebody else and to feel that, to touch that, to experience that. But maybe the best part of all, even better than that, was that once they saw those priests, they could have their life back. They could re-enter into the world. They would no longer be the rejects and the outcasts of society. And they could even, if they wanted to, live with their families again. For these ten men, this was the start of a brand new life. So let me ask you this this morning. Can you imagine their joy? Can you picture in your mind the sense of celebration that these ten men must have been experiencing? Can, Can you hear with your ears, the excited conversation, the, the thrilling talk and, and, and excitement that they were experiencing together. How anxious they must have been to just get to Jerusalem, find that temple, get to a priest, and finally be declared clean. This was a dream come true. And soon, I just imagine in my mind that instead of walking towards the priests, one of them just had the idea like, you know what, we can jog now. We probably weren't healthy enough to do that before, but let's try it. 
we're, we're, we're probably a little out of shape, but come on, let's go, let's get there. Hurry, hurry, hurry. They couldn't wait to embrace their friends again. Probably some of them had children that they weren't able to have, have been near in such a time. Some of them were just thinking about their favorite restaurants that they'd finally be able to eat at again. And the more that they thought about what was ahead of them, the faster and faster and faster they moved to get to Jerusalem. I believe that if you had been there at this moment, and if you had been watching these 10 men, you would have been smiling for sure. In fact, I'll bet you that you probably would have been laughing along with them. And I'll bet that if they were jogging, there's a good chance you might have jogged along too, just to see their faces and experience their joy. But, I also think that if you would have looked closely at these 10 men, you might have noticed something else. And that is that one of them, this one who was a little different, a Samaritan, he started to become quieter than the others. And I imagine that if you had been close enough to see that man's face, you would see that there were tears that were streaming down it. And that's because the Bible teaches us that there was something different about this man than the others. There was something happening inside of him that was not happening inside of the others. And and in the context of the story, we know that it was something wonderful. While the other nine lepers were focused on the life that lay ahead of them, this man, it would seem, was pondering the person that he had left behind him. This leper was thinking about Jesus. And you, and you just sense as you read the story that he was awestruck. And he was amazed. I remember once, um, many years ago, I traveled to the, the um, country of France for the first time. And I arrived at the airport, and I had some friends who picked me up in their car. They were going to take me back to their house. And um, as we drove you know, and left the airport, I was sitting in the back seat, and I, I caught a glimpse of the Alps for the first time. The Alps are just this amazing, majestic mountain range in France. And I, I just remember how enormous they were and, and how the base of them was just covered in these deep green pine trees. And they were so tall. And, and I remember the tops of the mountains, the peaks were covered in snow. And, and I couldn't believe it. And I remember literally not being able to take my eyes off of them. We were having a conversation as I was riding in the car. And I was like this out the back window because I, I just couldn't stop looking at them. And, and I remember saying to my host, I said, oh, it must be so wonderful to see this every day. I said, in, in White Lake, all we've got is Alpine Valley, and it's just not quite as majestic as, as this is. What I wouldn't give to have the Alps in my backyard. And, and you know what they said to me? They said, well, you know, We've kind of just gotten used to them, I guess. I I just don't even notice it. We don't even think about the mountains anymore. And and I'm staring at these mountains thinking, really? And I just remember feeling sad for them. And I stayed in France for two weeks. and, And I'm sorry to report that I got used to them too. You know, pretty soon they just kind of blended into life. They didn't stand out. They didn't draw out of me the things that had been drawn out of me before. Well, I really believe that when it comes to Jesus, sometimes that very same thing can happen to people. 
Many of us who are in this room, we have heard the Bible stories about Jesus again and again and again. And we've heard them to the degree that they no longer surprise us or catch us off guard. We hear that Jesus did impossible things. That he made a blind person actually see. That he made a person who was deaf actually be able to hear again. Even better than that, he made dead people actually live again. And we hear that and we think to ourselves sometimes, yeah, I know, that's what Jesus does. Jesus can do stuff like that. That's pretty typical work for Jesus. Or we hear and read the most wonderful news that that, that we've heard time and time again, that, that Jesus actually knows our name. That we're not just a number to Jesus, but that he actually knows us. And that he actually knows that in our own sinfulness, that, that uh, we have great need of him. And so the Bible tells us that he went to the cross for our sins. That all the things in my life that I deserve to die for, the things I've done that ought to keep me separate from God. Jesus came to die a horrible death in my place so that I could be forgiven and free of all of those things, restored to God and adopted by him as my son. We read that and and it's so rare that we ever stop and just think, why on earth would God do that for me? What does that tell me about Jesus' heart? Why would he do that? What does that mean about him? What am I supposed to do with that? How should I respond and feel about him? We should be thunderstruck by Jesus. And I really think that this Samaritan leper was exactly that. Well, the other lepers' minds were set on the fact that they had been cured. The leper, who was a Samaritan, his mind was set on how awesome and wonderful it was that Jesus would do something like that for him. That he even could do something like that for him. And I think that in his heart, he realized this man must be what people are saying about him. The rumors must be true. He must be the son of God. But why me? Everyone else has rejected me and abandoned me. Why would he do this? And I believe that when that leper started to think these things, he slowed down his pace to Jerusalem. I think he stopped jogging with the others and and he let them get ahead and he just started walking and he's pondering this and he's thinking about this and tears are coming down his face as he thinks these things and eventually at some point there was just something within him that said, I can't go to Jerusalem anymore. I know this sounds crazy but I'm less interested in those priests over there than I am this man who's over here. And he stops and he turns around and he starts walking in the other direction. And then I think he probably just started sprinting at top speed. And these new legs that he had, they they carried him all the way to Jesus. And when he finds Jesus, we're told in this passage that again, he stays his distance. At least at first, maybe it was just old habit. And instead of calling out to Jesus that he was unclean, the passage says he yells out, thank you, in a loud voice. 
He's saying, I praise you. You are wonderful. I can't believe that you would do this for me. You rescued me. You saved me. And then maybe for the first time in years and years, he does something that he was never allowed to do. He walks in close to Jesus. And the passage tells us that he just throws himself down at Jesus' feet. And he lies there with his face in the dirt. And he's just praising him. He's celebrating him. He is applauding Jesus for what he's done. And you get the sense that this man is absolutely overwhelmed. Not just with thanks for what Jesus has done. This man is overwhelmed with praise for who Jesus is. And what Jesus does next is so interesting. He looks down kindly at this man and he says in a way that almost seems sorrowful. It almost seems painful to Jesus in some sense. In verse 17, he says, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So let's ask ourselves this morning the same question that Jesus asked him. Where were the other nine? Well, they're still on their way to the temple, right? I mean, they're still moving in that direction. It was quite a long journey. Now, let me ask you this question. Were the other nine people, do you think that they were grateful for what Jesus had done? I sure do. I can't imagine them not being grateful. I can't imagine them not appreciating what Jesus had done for them. How could they not be? But in this passage, there's something different about this man. There's something different about the Samaritan. And I think the difference is that the Samaritan was not just thankful, although he certainly was that. The Samaritan was worshipful. Do you see that here? Do you see the difference? You see, the other men were so glad and so appreciative that they had been healed, but the Samaritan was moved by this sense of wonder and surprise and awe at the one who had healed him. You know, even more than God deserves our gratitude, God deserves our praise. And I think we learn in this passage that Gratitude for what God has done in our lives should always lead us to give him praise, not just for what he's done, but for who he is. Well, there's a lot more things that actually you could say about this passage. Um, It's interesting to think about the fact that this man was a Samaritan and what that means. And it's interesting to think about how leprosy is a lot like sin. It sort of numbs us to what's right and what's wrong. And, and sin causes us to end up inflicting wounds on ourselves accidentally, sometimes that we're not even aware of. But I want to close today by just making one application to this passage this morning. When I was a, a little boy, maybe four or five years old, 
Um, my dad uh, would go out of town sometimes on business. He would leave and be gone for a couple of days every other week or so. And uh, I remember um, he would get back from his trip and, and we'd see the car pull up and, and he'd come through the door. And I remember at that moment that I'd hear that door open, I'd yell, Dad! And I'd toss down whatever it was that I was doing and I would run over to him and I'd throw my arms around him and I'd hug him and I'd say, Dad, I am so glad to see you. And my dad, because he loved me, sometimes on these trips, he would bring me little souvenirs from the places that he had been. And, and it, it would be a, a small toy or a, a pack of gum. I remember one time there was a little pen that he gave me and you, you tilt it and a boat would go back and forth and back and forth and still have that pen. But over time, you know what started to happen? Well, Dad would come through the door like usual, and I'd say, Dad! And I'd throw whatever it was that I was doing down, and I would run over, and I would hold on to my dad, and I'd say, Dad, what did you bring me? Is it a stuffed animal this time, Dad, or a T-shirt? You see the difference between those two things. Worship is treasuring the person of God more than you treasure the gifts that God gives. Worship is treasuring the person of God more than you treasure the gifts that he gives. You know, some people grow up and they spend their whole lives in a church. And they're pretty good people and they've got pretty good lives. And they are really happy when Jesus answers their prayers and when life is going smoothly and well. And they think of Jesus as being a really great guy. I mean, they really like him and they appreciate the things that he's done and, and, and they're thankful for all that they have in the world. But you know, in truth, they kind of keep Jesus at a bit of a distance. And the thought of coming in closely to Jesus and laying down at his feet with their faces in the dirt, worshiping him, feels a little bit weird. I mean, that whole concept just seems like it would be unnatural and a little bit uncomfortable. But there are other people, a much smaller number of these people, maybe even one in ten, who are dumbstruck by Jesus. They just cannot literally figure him out. And sometimes when they think about the things that God has done in their lives, that he has loved them even when they were so unlovable, that he has died for them even when they are unclean, And that he made a place for them, even in his own kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. When they think about these things, it astonishes them all over again. And it fills their hearts up with wonder. And sometimes they will stop whatever it is that they're doing at that moment. They'll take the book that they're reading and they'll put it down on the table. Or they'll set the laundry that they're folding on the bed. Or they'll grab the remote and they'll turn off the TV. And they'll turn and they'll look out the window for just a minute. And all they'll do is just stare. And what they're doing in their minds is they're thinking about these things. 
And as they think about these things, inside their head, they begin to cry out to God, thank you. I praise you. I celebrate you. You are wonderful. Thank you for saving me. You are so good. You are so merciful. You are so kind. I am so undeserving. And yet, you have loved me. And sometimes they'll break out in a little song. Sometimes tears will start to roll down their eyes. Sometimes they'll just be so happy that they can't help but dance. And they imagine how awesome it would be to lie down at the feet of Jesus and just praise him and just worship him and just to thank him. And when they do this, if this is you, when you do this, what you're doing is you are imitating that Samaritan man who lived all of those years ago. That man who, even though he had so much ahead of him, even though he had so much to be thankful for and to enjoy so much that he'd been given by God, it wasn't enough for him just to be thankful for those things. He had to come back. He had to come to Jesus. He had to bring him his praise. And I think this passage teaches us that just like him, we should constantly be coming back to Jesus too. And that's the encouragement of this passage. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning for giving us this passage. We want to thank you that even though Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to die, even though he had hundreds of things on his mind, he still cared enough about this men to stop and heal them. And it reminds me that so many of us have experienced that same thing. So many of us who were unclean, you have made clean, not through our own good works or actions, but through the death of your son on our behalf on the cross. We thank you for that. Oh, how easily we take that for granted. Oh, how easily we get focused on the things that we have and the things that we're doing and the places that we're heading, and we forget your son on the cross dying for our sins. Let that blow us away, Father. Let that fill us with wonder and awe. Let us look to you as I looked to those mountains that day with majesty and surprise. Father, we thank you that you are such a wonderful God, that you are a God who can do impossible things. Help that to dazzle us. In Jesus' name, amen.